you should be comfortable in offending people because if you're a business leader and you're about to make massive changes to your organization, you're going to hire, fire, build, change, you're going to offend a lot of people. And if you're worried about giving a presentation that's going to offend one person, you're probably not in the right spot. Welcome to Stand Out, Get Noticed, the podcast that helps you speak and present with rockstar confidence. I'm Christina Cantors, your host and founder of The C Method Communication Skills Training. For free resources and to subscribe to the show, visit thecmethod.com. Hi there, Rockstar, and welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 152. Christina with you here. Now, this episode is all about how to bring more humor and storytelling into your work presentations. This one's for you if you want to really connect with your audience and make a memorable impact. And I'm so excited to be joined by Murray Morgan to help discuss this. And Murray is a serial entrepreneur. He's a three-time TEDx speaker and the co-founder of the stand-up comedy school, The School of Hard Knock Knocks. Really excited for this conversation with Murray. Now, before we get to that, I do have a quick announcement for those of you in Melbourne. I am thrilled to be speaking at the upcoming Girl Geek Dinners event on the 21st of March in the city. Now, this will be an interactive workshop on how to build confidence to speak up at work and to accelerate your career. And this is for women who, it's specifically for women who are in tech professions, but if you're not in a tech profession, that's okay as well. But if you are a high performing professional and you want to get to the next level at work, feel more confident in what you do and be able to speak up, then this is for you. Now, to get more info on that event, go to the events page where I list all the upcoming events that I'm running or um, workshops, etc. That's at thecmethod.com slash events, thecmethod.com slash events. And there's a link there to the Girl Geek, Girl Geek Dinners event. Awesome. I look forward to seeing you there. Okay, let's get on to this week's conversation. Now, meeting Maury Morgan was actually quite serendipitous. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you'll know that I like to push myself out of my comfort zone and do the things that scare me in order to grow and and develop personally, but it's also to inspire you to do the same. And a few years ago, I attempted stand-up comedy for the first time at an open mic night in New York City. And this was one of the most, if not the most, terrifying experience I've ever had in my life. But it absolutely pushed me. I learned so much from it and I felt invincible afterwards. If you want to hear my podcast on it, it's episode 11 where I share what I learned from it and you'll get to hear my entire set as well. Um, and that, it's also at thecmethod.com slash standup or find episode 11 on your app. Now, anyway, since then... I've been keen to learn more about stand-up and and the techniques used. And as a result of this, I was researching some stand-up classes recently and I found one that came up. It was called The School of Hard Knock Knocks. And I signed up. And then a friend of mine, Andrew Ford, who's also been on this podcast, he messaged me and he connected with me with this guy called Murray. And he said, hey, Christina, you should meet Murray. He's awesome. He does all these things. Murray, meet Christina. She's great. She does podcasts. And I thought, who's this guy, Murray? So I clicked, I, you know, clicked on his profile, had a look, and I was like, oh, my God. He is the co-founder of the School of Hard Knock Knocks, which is the stand-up course I was going 
I, I was going to do. Anyway, so I said, hey, dude, let's do a podcast together. This will be really cool. And here we are. So that's how this came to be. Now, not only does he have a fabulous voice for radio, Murray has vast amounts of experience in building businesses, both in Australia and across Asia, and he's worked in fields including medical science, management consulting, high-tech, and cybersecurity. Absolutely multi-skilled. He's done three TEDx talks. He's an expert in presentation skills and storytelling and engaging audiences across different cultures too. He's fluent in Mandarin too, by the way. He co-founded the School of Hard Knock Knocks in 2015 with seasoned stand-up comic Ben Horowitz, and they now run monthly courses helping budding budding comedians hone their stand-up skills. If you want to learn more about the courses, go to schoolofhardknockknocks.com. Today, Maury and I are talking about using humour and storytelling in the workplace. We're talking about why it's important. And not just for stand-up comics, you know, in, a, in, the, in the workplace, why you should use it, how to do it. And Mari also shares some powerful techniques, techniques for connecting with your audience and easing the mood when the environment is stone cold and tense. Lots of good stuff in this episode. If you want to um, connect with Mari, I'll link up his website. I'll also link up the other resources that we mention in the show notes at thecmethod.com slash Mori. That's Mori spelt M-O-R-R-Y. Okay, I hope you enjoy this one. Please say hi to the wonderful Mori Morgan. When I was in Singapore, I got a, I got a contract for an international job in Thailand. 70 pharmaceutical uh, staff uh, were all going to Bangkok and we had to have three of our staff plus myself run a three-day leadership development and and creative management type program. And I was going to be the MC for most of those three days. And it started off the evening. I think it was, I think it was probably a Thursday evening at the five-star hotel. And the projector that had the video that was going to kickstart this three-day or four-day, three-night event adventure didn't work. And I was left on stage going, Right, um, because the audience was Indian, Chinese, Singaporean, Thai, How Americans, and seventy people. Okay. Such a, an assorted group. Mm. I couldn't just go into my old China jokes. You know, I've got plenty of jokes in Mandarin um, that make fun of me and so on, and everyone laughs. And I know they work, but then the Indians wouldn't have got it, right? And the Australians wouldn't have got it. I was stubbed. I was stubbed. So I. Um, I think in came back, told my wife, and she was on the tram with me. She was looking at her mobile phone. She turned, she goes, oh, you should do a stand-up comedy school or you know, be the student. So I did. And that's that serendip- serendipitous moment came from another uh, previous company that I was doing. And today, uh, two and a half years later, I now no longer own that China business, that Asia business. I now own a stand-up comedy school. So your wife suggested to you, you should have done stand up yeah, because- when you were struggling to fill yeah. in that time. I should just like open up with a you know five a quick five minute set you know golden winners and uh, you know every twelve seconds throw in a, a golden oldie and and have everyone in rupturous laughter. Had you ever done stand up before? Never, never, no. So what was your first experience of stand up? So I went along to this this course and uh, nervously didn't know anyone and I think I was the last person to enroll in the course. And um, and you had to come along with two minutes of your material. Already? Yeah. 
Yeah. That's really scary without learning anything. Without learning anything. So I think they wanted to know what where you were, mm. um, what kind of – and I had terrible jokes, terrible, terrible jokes. They weren't funny or they were just insensitive. And um, But I had a personality on stage because I'd done a lot of presentation skills. So that got me through. I, I, I There is a video – Thankfully, it's on a DVD, and I and it's in my house, and she'll never see the light. <laughs> but that was my first ever show, and I did it to I think maybe maybe twenty people in the graduation. It was a very small group in that mm. in that school. Um, but being an entrepreneur, as I was doing the whole course, learning about presentation and, and comedy and and writing jokes, I was thinking, oh, you could fix that, you could do that. This material needs to be reformatted. The way that he presented that. That part of the training needs to be improved. He's not using adult learning th- you know, principles. You know, where's Mumford and Honey here? The Kirkpatrick <laughs> method, you know. And I just went at the end of it, I just got itchy feet. And I said um, to a comedian that I'd met through the course, I said, his name's Ben. I said, Ben, would you like to start a stand-up comedy school? And he goes, yeah, yeah, sure. And he's, a, he's in demolition. He, he knocks down houses and I build businesses. So it was a perfect match. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So you've been running now for a couple of years. It's yeah. Hard Knock Knocks. That's right. 2016 uh, was our March 2016 was our first class. But of course, it started in, I think, November 2015. We had to write material, research, uh, organize the venues, organize the, the guest comedians, mm, yeah. all of that. What would you say is the biggest thing that participants get out of it? Uh, probably community. Right. Yeah. So I'm surprised you didn't. I. Um, they, of course, they do learn learn the structure. But like, what's the rule? Um, Ten thousand hours. Right. I mean, to be a master of anything, they, there's a there's a you know belief a myth possibly, but roughly ten thousand hours. So you're not going to get it from a fifteen hour course with the School of Hard Knock Knocks. But once you're in that community, you can then develop that and move forward to that 10,000. And one of our graduates who graduated from our first class in March 2016, from last count, he'd done over 300 open mic uh, wow. gigs. And open mics around around five to 10 minutes. Yep. And, um, well, unsurprisingly, he actually got into the state finals for this year of raw comedy. So, um, you know, it hard work Absolutely. is important. So once you're in that community, we support you and – Help you get more open mic gigs and, and invite you back to actually perform at the at the school graduation mm. performance. Let's talk about storytelling and mm. humor in, in business. It's a topic that I haven't addressed on the show. Maybe a little bit of storytelling, but definitely not about the humor. Yeah. And I found, I mean, in my experience, I meet people in business who are afraid to use stories or afraid to use humor because they're worried that it won't come across as being professional right. or that it's too fluffy and that, no, 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 people don't, you know, people don't want to hear story. They want to hear the content or they want to hear the, the pitch or whatever. What's been your experience with this? Well, you've got to have substance. That's for sure. You just can't fluff it and get up on stage and make people laugh. Otherwise, that is just stand-up comedy. Uh, you know, you've got to have a message. There has to be a purpose for any business presentation you know there's got to be an action if you're getting up there and in, in my background I used to come from a presentation skills background I used to teach presentation skills and I and I've given three TEDx presentations and the biggest one was to 600 people in Shanghai mm. um but every every one of those had a key message a personal message that was aimed at the audience for them to take action um and and that's that's very very important Got to have that first. Comedy is the sugar coating. 
on a great presentation. You can be a very serious presentation uh, presenter and you know be classified as one of the, the greatest, and that's fine. You add comedy on top of that, and then you are a celebrity presenter, right? Um, and because of remembering that it's not just what people remember, it's how you make them feel. That makes a great presentation. They'll walk away and they won't remember, you know, if you've given a 30-minute presentation or even if even a, say, a TEDx 16-minute presentation, they're not going to remember all the details, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And that will get them to do something, take action in some way, hopefully the way you want them to do. Mm. Yeah. I remember I watched, I think it's the most viewed TED Talk of all time. It's by Sir Ken Robinson. Yes. Um, He's hilarious, isn't how he? How Schools Kill Creativity, I think yep. that's what it's called. That's right. And I was listening to it and- at the end, I realized this guy, about 80% of it was story, 80%. And he was telling stories about how he moved from, you know, England to America and how his son was dating this girl that he didn't even like. And, yep. and which they is why seemed, they moved. Which is why, yeah, he made a joke about that. Yeah. And it seemed irrelevant at the time, but it was hilarious. Yeah, it was. And it was so compelling to watch. It was. Yeah, no surprises that it's the most watched. It, it you, you can watch it again and again and again. Um, and, and this is a guy who has uh, grew up with polio. So he, he, he has a crutch when he walks up on stage. He doesn't, he doesn't walk around. He's not animated like a Steve Jobs type of pre presenter. Mm. He can't walk. Um, but he's standing up. He's not in a wheelchair. And, um, and yet you just, you're just cracking up and laughing the whole time. And you remember it because it made you laugh, made you feel good. Yep. Yeah, and you want to change things now. You want to get involved in education, and that's what he was. That was his goal. Yeah, mm. and it was one singular point yeah. that he was making, yeah. just one. Um, but he framed it so well with story and and with humor. Yep. So why do you think people don't feel encouraged to use story? You know, people people watch TED talks like they're so popular now, mm. and there's so many great talks out there with so many stories and yep. in them. Yet, what what do you think holds people back from actually? implementing this in their own presentations? Well, I think there's probably a couple of answers to that. One is fear, fear that I'll offend somebody. We are in a, we are in a world of PC culture now, and I'm not suggesting you say outrageous things that, that, that insult people. I'm not suggesting that at all. But, but I look, I've seen people go, oh, we can't say that. Oh, you know, um, even comedians get this all the time. Um, I was listening to a, a podcast with Dave O'Neill, and uh, he does. A, he has a great podcast too, uh, called The Debrief. Little plug there for Dave. Um, and he was talking about how he went to an event where there was a lot of. Uh, I think there was. I think the word was just Asians. There's a lot of Asian investors in this event. It's a corporate event. He said, "You don't have any Asian jokes, do you?" He said, "Oh no, I don't have any Asian jokes. No. Why would I make Asian jokes?" And he started. Uh, well, halfway through, he, he was about to make a joke about Kim Jong Un, right? Which is perfectly fine, but then he realised, oh, he's Asian, and he cut and he stopped <laughs> yeah. halfway through his joke, and anyway, went on to another joke. But he self-censored himself because he was just overly cautious. And that's Dave O'Neill, who has about twenty-five or thirty years of comedy experience, and is very confident on stage, and doesn't need, you know, he, he can offend people. He's got plenty of business. Now go back to you know Bill, who or, or Mary, who's you know, in accounts and they're giving a presentation to the, you know, the, the executive mm. board, they're very, very cautious about saying the wrong thing about the wrong type or, you know, and I think that's one of the biggest issues that we see today, uh, a bit of a, a, P, a PC slash concern that we're going to offend people. Yes. Yeah. Now, you, you should 
you should be comfortable in offending people because if you're a business leader and you're about to make massive changes to your organization, you're going to hire, fire, build, change, you're going to offend a lot of people. And if you're worried about giving a presentation that's going to offend one person, you're probably not in the right spot. And I guess if you water yourself down to the point where you appeal to everyone, it's going to be so bland that no one's going to resonate with the message. Exactly. At all. I mean, Steve, look, Steve Jobs gets a a fantastic rap for his presentations. He was also known as being a bit of a prick Mm. uh, in the business, (laughs) in the corporate world as well. Um, He had goals. He focused on those goals and he achieved those goals. And he had very clear messages uh, in his presentations. Mm. And what about stories? Because storytelling can still be really effective. You know, it doesn't have to be a funny story to, in order to be powerful. What do you think is a good starting point for people who think, okay, I want to start to include some stories, yep. but what's relevant, what's not? Is is the boss going to think this is fluffy? Is this going to oh. work? You know, it may not be so much an offend, like worried about offending someone, but yep. it could be more around – are they going to lose patience with me? Are they, do they not have time for a story? Well, you've, you've probably touched on an important aspect, and that is audience analysis. Uh, I used to teach presentations, as mentioned, so A-U-D-I-E-N-C-E, uh, attendees, understanding, demographics, um, interests, environment, needs, customization, and expectations. Ooh, so wow, mm. I've not heard that one before. Yeah, so that was every time I gave a presentation, a corporate presentation or taught presentations, I would go through that. I'd say regardless of what someone told you you need to speak about, firstly, find out who the audience is. Because if if someone says, oh, talk about the business, okay, and then you find out that the audience is going to be a bunch of MBA students who Mm. are coming through to do research, well, that's going to be very different than, say, a group of investors from Japan or a group of high school students who are doing a report on your industry, for example. So first one is audience analysis. And Look, I'm going to stereotype here. I'm going to offend people. I'm going to say sometimes the Germans, and I've worked a lot with German (laughs) companies in Asia, they're a bit stiffer. But I've met fantastic Germans that are not, who love to tell a story and love to have a good laugh. So you have to weigh that and go, all right, is my boss the kind of guy that goes brass tacks? Give me the facts. Um, Because then the story might, might come second to some statistics, some big numbers. Like, hey, I just want to start by saying 85% of our business is getting uh, overtaken by our competitors. Ooh, big numbers. Now, let me tell you why. There's a guy in our northern uh, district who's managing this. His name's Steve. And Steve and his, and his uh, sales director, Catherine, are, and then you go into detail. And the rule is, really, if you've got a child, or we've all been ch- children, when you read a story to a child, you don't go, right, there was this guy, he rode a horse up a mountain. There was a princess at the top. He said, all right, I'll save you. <laughs> Come on, let's go home. There's got to be color. There's got to be depth. You know, the, the, the horse has a name. The horse has a color. It's got patterns on it. Um, the, the, the knight, you know, I'm being a bit sexist with my story. Maybe it's a, a female uh, knight, <laughs> it's right? It's a very offensive podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. So that's what I mean. I'm, I'm self-censoring just on that level as well, you know. Um, and you've got to go into detail. You've got to talk about don't, – t- don't just talk about a customer. Talk about Cheryl who – has bought, been buying our product for 13 years and she runs a small, you know, if you're in sort of a B2B business and she runs a small, um, hairdressing salon and, mm. um, and she uses our product and she, and the last time I saw her, she said, Maury, and you finished that story. And you actually act out. I've heard this said before where you act out, you know, you say so and so said to me and you actually say mm. what they said. And you could even put a bit of their mannerisms yep. into it. So you're acting it out. You're not saying, he said this and then I said that and then he said that. You're actually yeah. 
putting yourself into that situation for that story. That's right. And one thing that comedy does, an informal comedy, not just like, hey, have you heard a joke? There's mm. an Irishman and an Englishman. No. What comedy as a stand-up comedy uh, field does or as, a, as an art form is it teaches you to reduce words. So instead of saying 100 words to tell a joke, which most people do at barbecues across Australia, they'll, they'll take far too long to tell a joke. Oh, my dad. Yeah. Sorry, Dad, I've just offended my dad now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's going to be the, the theme it of this. It takes a very long time to tell stories, and they exactly right. So yeah, so he's got to do a, he's got to do a comedy course. You can teach him once you've done our <laughs> course, right? And go. All right, there's a hundred words, but what were the key points along that word? Let's cut that out. Let's not use that word green. Let's use khaki or khaki because it, that that word itself is going to give a meaning that green doesn't. Right? It's going Explain. To give, well, um, there was a guy for example, walked into our office and he was wearing khaki trousers, right, with pockets. Now you're suddenly – you're creating an image of, say, someone who's more militaristic. Okay, you know, it's very specific. Specific. Yeah, green but could be any green. Could be any green. Could mm. be fluoro green. You know, fluorescence. So this guy came in with, with fluorescent pants, you know, tight fluorescent pants, and he said, you know. So you're suddenly creating this image. Um, so, yeah, be selective, cut the words down. And going back to the question, which was about storytelling, is, yeah, most presenters are told you've got 5, 15, 20, 25 minutes. So, try and get as much in as possible. Cut out the redundant words. And in comedy, um, comedy and key and presentations, as I said, it's not – you've got to make a key message that is memorable. In comedy, the last word is the key word. It's the – what's that? Um, on a bridge, you have the uh, the stone. That, the keystone. The keystone. That's yeah. it. Yeah, the keystone. Keystone goes, it's an angular stone. It's the last one, and it, all the force goes onto the keystone. And um, the last word of a joke needs to be that keystone. So um, not always, I should say. There's no hard and fast rules in comedy, but it should be the last word. So, for example, if you're making a story and you finish with um, and so we went there and had fun, right? Fun is not a key word, right? And, but survive would be a key word you could put in there. Um, you wouldn't want to finish with he or is or that, you know, prepositions and articles and particles. Or, and that's it. And that's it. Definitely don't do that. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. No, don't ever do that. Um, yeah. So what we do in, in comedy writing, we take it, we take a story. We write it out and we look at the last word. And if it's a preposition, an article, you know, like is on at that, and we immediately reshuffle the order. We don't want to change the, the make that poor grammar and put the keyword, normally a noun or a, uh, it could be an adjective, but, but normally a noun or a verb that's very, very strong, a strong word. So is that at the end of each joke or right at the end of your set? Yeah, at the end of each joke. Right. Yeah, and every joke. Uh, roughly, is it should be there should be a new joke every twelve to fifteen seconds. So you've got in a, you know in five minutes you've got about four, you know twenty to thirty to forty jokes depending on how quickly you can get those out. Now they're not all ha ha ha. They're a bit like uh, you talked about was it um, Richard Sir Richard Robinson? Uh, uh, Ken Robinson. Ken Robinson. Yep. Yeah. So Ken Robinson. You know, he's not ha ha. You know you're not laughing off your seat all the time, but there are moments where you do, and you go. Oh, that's hilarious. And there's other moments where you go, ha, 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 and that's fine. And that's the same with comedy. What if you've got a really tough audience? Because I know that sometimes going into a really cold room where people 
aren't used to laughing, if it's an environment where there's not generally much yeah. humour, yeah. people aren't used to laughing. It's almost like they don't they don't feel they have permission to laugh. Mm. How do you break that ice in a work context? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and for anyone who's a comedian listening to this, I'm not going to give an, an opinion based on comedy because I'm not a, I'm not a qualified comedian as such. I don't have 16 years of comedy, but I have got over 20 years of presentation skills experience and I've taught presentation skills. Um, in that sense, I'd go back to a little bit to the audience again. If you know you're about to go in and, you know, maybe senior director has died, right? Or half the department has been let go and you know the room is cool. And very cold, as a matter of fact, then you're not just going to walk in with the door, take up the microphone and go, right, you know, and start your presentation. You would probably mingle with the audience beforehand. You would probably get to know people on a one on one level if, if you don't already know them. And then the way that you present, um, perhaps in this, if it's a very cold and the, and the arms are crossed, you're not, sta- you wouldn't stand behind a podium. Um, you were trying to get as, uh, what I try to do is get as close to the same head level as they are. So in this example, I'm going to give, imagine I did this quite a lot. Imagine a boardroom table and you've got say 10, 10 and five. So a big, big number of people, 25 or more people. What you would do is you wouldn't stand up and look down at them. You would sit what I do, as long as you're not wearing a dress, of course, but uh, you would sit, um, on the, the corner of the table with one leg over the over the, the tip and one leg just supporting you, touching the so ground. So kind of leaning, leaning you, on the table, half, uh, like half sitting. Yeah. So you would um, you put your sort of one bum cheek on yeah. the edge, yeah, and the other <laughs> bum cheek would be off okay. the edge, yeah, and your leg would sort of roll over, and the yeah. leg that's rolling over would not be touching the ground. Yes. Yeah. We, we, I can picture but, Maury uh, positioned very sexily, half precariously <laughs> on the side of the boardroom. You've table. got to practice this precariously. <laughs> yes, definitely. You've got to practice. No short skirts. And you definitely don't wear short no. skirts or um, something that's flexible anyway. Yes. You don't want to wear tight trousers as well that aren't no, flexible. No, you don't want to burst out in the middle of the meeting. No. Okay. But what then happens is instead of your head level being, and for those listening to this and not watching this, my hands are separated by about a foot. So one hand is above the other, about a foot. And each hand represents the head level. Sure. And what you're doing is you're coming down and you're starting to see eye to eye with the audience. And then in most cultures, and it works as well in China, Singapore, Japan, and Australia for me, and that's where I've been based for the last 20 years, uh, you do a slight bow. So you, you lean forward and we have bowing in, in, in Western cultures, as of course the Japanese and Chinese do too. Mm. And by bowing down slightly and maybe even putting your hand in front of you on the table and lowering your tone of voice and your volume, you start to show empathy and you become one, almost like a mentor versus a teacher yes. to the audience. And that, and only then do you start to say the bad news to right. the audience. Yeah. Well, that could work even if you're not delivering bad news. Like yeah. if you're looking to build rapport with an audience, yeah. maybe they don't know you, who you are and you want to start developing sure. that relationship with them. Definitely. So Definitely. what about why wouldn't you just sit at your chair at the table to be at the exact level at them? Well, um, yeah, well, you could do. But then again, you're not differentiating yourself as the person of authority in that room sure. about to give you – about to you know, uh, project wisdom to the group um, because obviously you're there for a reason. You're there to give them something, mm. whether that's information or bad news or um, – and you can play with that. And I play with that a lot uh, over – throughout Asia. Um, yeah, and I would do it to r- rooms of young people, old people. Um, if it was a very formal event and I was doing it to a board, I wouldn't do that necessarily. Um, but 
yeah, but it, I never had a problem with it. And in fact, I, I used it a lot when I was a, a much older than the group. So often I would do some work with uh, interns or people who had just got a job. So they'd be in their early 20s, for reference, 43. So and that age group, that age difference means a lot more in Asia than it does here in Australia. And I would you know, come down to their eye level again and they would just open up and be so much more relaxed do you do that even with – if there's a stage, let's say it's a big room with a lot of people and you're on yep. a stage, do you come down off the stage? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and again, it depends. It does depend on the length of time. If you're just giving a ten, you know, five, ten-minute presentation about something, uh, you may not be able to do that. Mm. Yeah, there, there just may be. But if it's – in many cases, I do a lot of workshops and the workshop could be two or three hours, then definitely get in there and work around and do do group activities and and in that case if there's some form of interaction that's required then get them to stand up as well yeah and walk around and have a obviously cordless microphone so you can walk around yeah i love the i love the idea of making it about you know it's it's a we thing rather than you know i'm here to dictate to you yeah. it's like i'm coming down to your level like we're all, we're all, we're all in this together all learning something discovering something together yeah definitely yeah. definitely and then you throw in a joke um, and, you know, make a joke about oneself, make a joke about yourself, about how you don't get this or, you know, I'd, in Asia, I was able to obviously, obviously use language uh, as my weakness mm. and, and talk about and make jokes about that, how I'm learning Mandarin or, hey, isn't it weird how the culture is different and, and so on. And that would just relax people again. They're like, oh, he's, he's not going to be formal and stiff. He's going to be one of us. I was running some podcast training at Melbourne Uni the other week and we were working – I was teaching people how to use the editing program. Right. And I know basic – like I know what I need to know to edit a podcast, but there are so many other things in the program I don't know. And I would get – and I was working with very intelligent people yeah. and they're asking me questions like, well, what if you could do this or how about this or is there a way to do this? And I was going – wow, I hadn't actually thought of that, but thank you for asking. And then we'd figure it out before and then I'd be like, wow, guys, I learned something today. Yeah. You're amazing. And yeah. they all had a laugh and, you know, and, and it made it a much more comfortable environment. It wasn't embarrassing for yeah. me to that I didn't know the answer because it was all about us learning together. Yeah, and you and you used a technique, um, and I get asked all the time. You know, when I get asked a question, that's another problem with presenters. They like, oh, I don't, I don't like questions because I might not know well, yeah, the it's answer. Terrifying, yeah. Well, there's a lot of te <laughs> techniques you can use. The one I used to love would someone would ask me a question, Maury, what's the, um, you know, what's the answer to this question? I'd say that's a fantastic question, guys. I'm going to open it up to the to the <laughs> that's to a the great floor. Technique. Sally, what do you think? Sally says something. Ben, what do you think? Ben says something. Hong Wei says something. Hong Wei says something, and then you go, well. These are great answers, but in my opinion, and you've just given yourself five minutes head start. <laughs> yep. You've got three inputs that you can, you know, use to, to to polish your answer, and then your answer, of course, is the best. Yep, yep. love it, Maury. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your many years of wisdom with us. Yeah, thank you. Um, do you want to do a quick plug for the next upcoming course? Which, by the way, I have signed up for. People, mm. my I put my money where my mouth is, and I've and I've signed up. So you'll be hearing from me very soon about my experience. Well, there's only three spots left. Ooh, okay. Mm, so it's pretty tight. Um, so if you can't get into the March 25 to 29 course, then that's 2018 if you're listening to this sometime way in the future, uh, then go along to the April one. We've got one. It's typically the last month, uh, sorry, the last week of every month. Sure. So we have uh, March, April, May. Um, we've got Brad Oaks in March. We've got Christine Basil in April and we've got Richard Stubbs in May. They're the guest. They're the guest teachers. comedians, guest and they and they are the headliner. So you will be on stage with Brad Oaks. 
Wow. Mm. Okay. I can't wait. Uh, where can people reach out to you, Murray? Well, it's an easy one. Uh, schoolofhardknocknocks.com. Excellent. Thanks okay. so much. Thanks, Christelle. It was such a pleasure having Maury Morgan on the show. Some of you may have watched the Facebook Live video as well. Um, if you go to my Facebook page, Christina Cantor's The C Method, you'll see there um, whenever I do a live interview, I also try to do a Facebook Live video as well. So you can have a look there. Now, to check out more about the School of Hard Knock Knocks, go to the School of – actually, no, go to schoolofhardknockknocks.com or you can visit the show notes at thecmethod.com slash Murray. There will be a link in the description of your of this podcast episode in your app, so you can tap and hold on that directly. It will take you straight there. Before we wrap this episode, remember to go to the events page on the C Method website, thecmethod.com slash events, for the link to where you can go to register for the Girl Geek Dinners event that I will be speaking at. It's going to be a super fun workshop on how to build confidence at work in order to speak up and succeed, specifically for women in tech. Even though if you're not in tech, you'll still be welcome. They're not going to kick you out. As long as you're there to, if you're willing to learn, meet new people and be part of a supportive environment, you're going to find it really, really useful. So go to thecmethod.com slash events um, for all the details there. And that is all from me this week. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I hope you have a fabulous rest of your week and I'll see you next time. Keep on being awesome. My name's Christina Cantors and this has been Stand Out, Get Noticed.